this week as we are in the midst of the St. Louis Cardinals playoffs and all of the fun and joy that goes with that. There's a little bit of Cardinals-related news that came out that a former St. Louis Cardinals player and a hero in many people's minds, David Freeze, retired this week after his team, the Dodgers, were eliminated. And David Freeze is this town, as I have heard over and over again, is, is well-remembered for the, his heroics in the 2011 World Series, where he was the MVP, most notably in Game 6, when bottom of the ninth, with two outs and two strikes, with two men on base, he hit a game-tying triple, and then in extra innings, he hit the walk-off home run, giving St. Louis not only a win in an elimination game, but momentum to go on and win the 2011 World Series. And for that, for that, he has seemingly earned the unending praise of St. Louis. And even when he comes back, as it came back as a Dodger and as from different teams, when he would go up to bat, he got an ovation from the fans of St. Louis for their in their gratitude and of their praise for the things that he has done for this city. And one of the most interesting things about that was one of the current St. Louis Cardinals uh, ball players cites this act by St. Louis to show that this is a ball town and I wanted to play in St. Louis because of the way that they treat their baseball players. They cited the way that St. Louis loves a former player, one that's not even on their team anymore for what he did, that I want to be a part of this town and this town is a great place to play baseball. David Freeze did some great things. He gave the city bragging rights, right? Now you've got the 2011 pennant to hang and, and to talk about. Uh, he gave the, the town a slight economic boost, right? There's probably a bunch of sales that came in from being World Series champs and, and a, a very entertaining moment that many people will never forget. And for that, we praise him in a way that causes others to praise St. Louis. What a beautiful thing that in praising someone and, and, and enjoying a beautiful moment, other people would see that and say, I want to be a part of that. So my question is, how often does our praise of God do the same thing? How often does our praise of God cause others to say, I want to praise him as well. I want to be a part of that. That's such a beautiful and heartfelt and and genuine thing. that I want to be a part of that praise as well. Because it's not something that you honestly hear about a whole lot. Ah, I became a Christian. I came to church because their praise was just so beautiful. Usually there's some other reasons, but it's such an interesting concept and thing to think about. And it's a question that I'd like to bring for us to bring with us as we go dive into the text. And so if you would, turn with me to Leviticus chapter 7. Leviticus is the third book in the Bible. We're going to be starting in chapter 7 verse 11, going through 21, and thinking about that question of what does it look like to praise God in such a way that other people would want to be a part of that praise? They would see that and say, I want to be with them, and I want to be praising that God as well. All right, this is what we read in in Leviticus 7. We read this, and this is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings that one may offer to the Lord. If he offers it for a thanksgiving, then he shall offer with the thanksgiving sacrifice unleavened loaves mixed with oil, unleavened wafers smeared with oil, and loaves of fine flour well mixed with oil. And with the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving, he shall bring his offering with loaves of leavened bread. And from it he shall offer one loaf from each offering as a gift to the Lord, and it shall belong to the priest who throws the blood of the peace offerings. And the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving shall be eaten on the day of his offering. He shall not leave any of it until the morning. But if the sacrifice of his offering is a vow offering or a free will offering, it shall be eaten on the day that he offers a sacrifice. And on the next day, what remains 
shall be eaten. But what remains of the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day shall be burned up with fire. And if any of the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering is eaten on the third day, he who offers it is not accepted. Neither shall it be credited to him. It is tainted, and he who eats of it shall bear his iniquity. Flesh that touches any unclean thing shall not be eaten. It shall be burned up with the fire. All who are clean may eat flesh, but the person who eats the flesh of the sacrifice of the Lord's peace offerings while an uncleanness is on him, that person shall be cut off from his people. And if anyone touches an unclean thing, whether human uncleanness or an unclean beast or any unclean detestable creature, and then eats some flesh from the sacrifice of the Lord's peace offering, that person shall be cut off from his people. We're going to need some prayer to get through this, boys. Ladies and gentlemen, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, as we think about this question of how to praise you, and, and you remind us of all the reasons of the why you are worthy to be so, Lord, how do we come back to you and honor you with this praise? How do we see this in these words of Leviticus? We ask that you would open up our ears, our hearts, our minds, and our souls. May your Holy Spirit be working and illuminating this text to us. It seems so ancient and foreign and different from anything we've ever experienced. And Lord, may you be glorified. In your name we pray. Amen. So, this offering that we're talking about, the peace offering. We also call it the fellowship offering. It's the same offering that, that Murray preached on last week from Leviticus 3. They're just giving us a little bit more detail on a different situation here in, in Leviticus 7. And so this fellowship offering, this is the way in which the ancient Israelites would come to God and they would know that they have fellowship with him through honoring him by giving him the best of the sacrifice and, and knowing that that fellowship then results in celebration. Now, through Jesus, we come to the table of God and and feasting with him and looking forward to doing that in his presence. But along with the upward reality of that celebration that we do, that is reminiscent of that fellowship offering back in the Old Testament, God has also given us a mandate that our celebration should not just be upward, but outward as well when we're reaching up. Honoring God with our praise is not only something that we lift up, but it's something that we lift up together with those around us. And so we get to this question, what does that look like? How do we honor God with our praise in a way that's not just us to them, but then also bringing in the people around us? And all right, so getting into that, we're going to, I'm going to go back, I'm going to read a few of these verses again, and we'll get into it. So we're going to look in 11 through 15 for this. And this is the part that says, and this is the law of the sacrifices, the peace offerings that one may offer to the Lord. He offers it for thanksgiving, then he shall offer it with thanksgiving with sacrifice unleavened loaves and more loaves and more loaves. And with the sacrifice of the peace offering for thanksgiving, he shall bring his offering with loaves of leavened bread as well. And it shall be, he shall offer one loaf from each offering as a gift to the Lord. It belongs to the priest who throws the blood of the peace offerings and the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving shall be eaten on the day of his offering. He shall not leave any of it until morning. All right, so we've got this peace offering, and, and we're, we also know that we can call, this is also properly termed the fellowship offering. Last week, in, and, and when we're offering this sacrifice, this fellowship offering, uh, we're, they talk about how it's an offering of thanksgiving. And in context here, what they're saying is this is an offering in response to something God has done. God has done something good in Israelite's life, and in response to that, something major he wants to come and he offers a thanks, uh, a sacrifice of thanksgiving and praise to God. Last week in chapter 3, we talked about this thanksgiving. We talked about how the best portion of the meat went to the Lord. 
And here we also have several types of bread that go along with this meat. So you've got a bigger picture. You're not just the animal, not just the meat from the animal. Then you also got bread to go along with it. But, and here's the thing we should notice, a few particulars for us to notice. One, only part of that bread goes in the sacrifice. At the same moment, only part of that meat went up to the Lord and was the Lord's portion. Where did the rest go? Because if we're talking about a sacrifice of a cow, right, that's several hundred pounds of meat. I don't know if you guys have ever seen a a cow's worth of meat, but it fills up four of those deep freezes, if you've ever had one of those in your freezer. It is a lot of meat. And remember, in verse 15, the Lord says, it all has to be eaten in one day. Otherwise, you have to burn it up. So if you don't eat all of this meat, and there's probably and there's a lot of bread to go with it, all in one day, you burn it and it goes to waste. Well, what are you going to do in that situation? You're going to throw a feast. You're going to say, hey, everybody, I have got all of this meat. Come feast with me. I'm going to eat as much as I can. But you come in off the street because I don't have a big enough family to eat all of this. And so you come in, you come in. You're going to be grabbing everybody around you to come in and enjoying with you in this feast so nothing goes to waste. And your celebration, your offering of thanksgiving can be enjoyed by so many people. And one of the interesting things about this is this is probably one of the only times that Israelites ever got to eat meat. It was rare. We eat meat every day. In fact, Americans eat too much meat. We're, we, we, we're, we're saturated in it. But for an Israelite, this was one of the few and only times that they ever got to eat meat. All right. So you've got this, this, this tons of meat. You've got all of this happening. You've got all of these people coming in from off the street and from around. So where is this happening? Let's get a little context again. This is happening at the temple. And the temple is the social hub of Israel, the entire nation of Israel. This is where all the com- lots of commerce, and this is where all the people from throughout the reaches of the nations and even foreign nations are coming through and passing by. And so when you're doing this, think about who's probably also going to be there and who's going to be the most prominent people. In the most prominent and populous parts of St. Louis where there's the most traffic, that is also where most of your homeless people are or most of your poor and your beggars go because that's the place where you're going to get the most donations. And so, as you're trying to throw this feast and you're grabbing anyone else and inviting anyone else who's around you, the people that are coming are the people who have nothing to give themselves and who are otherwise have nothing to sustain themselves. What a glorious and gracious provision that God has that when he says, I'm going to bless you, and he does something great for one of the Israelites, in response, and as part of that, a whole bunch of people get to enjoy that. And not just a whole bunch of people, but the people who are in the worst situations in life. The people who, who, who otherwise would be saying, and many times in our society as they walk into our church are saying, what does God have to do for me? Where, where is he? Does he show up? Is it, why do you follow him? In this society, in this system of sacrifice, they would know very tangibly what's going on because every good thing that happens to me, every good thing that happens to one of you, they get to celebrate in it too. What a beautiful thing that God does, look, taking care of not only us, but taking care of those who don't always get to see blessings and saying, come celebrate his goodness. Even though it wasn't directly to you, you get to benefit from it. To take it even further, right? The wealthier the person that was blessed, 
the more people that were probably included in this celebration because a cow, a cow was something that only the really wealthy usually would be able to bring. A goat or a lamb was more likely for a middle-class family, and, and a dove or, or maybe even some just the flower was usually for those who were the most destitute. And so how countercultural is that to our society today? Because what happens today when the wealthy, when the uber-wealthy get more wealth and they want to throw a party? The party gets more and more exclusive. Less and less people. It gets more and more private. But in the, in the kingdom of God, when the wealthy, when the people who are blessed the most celebrate more people get to benefit from it. He blesses us not so that only we get to enjoy it, but that so as many people as possible get to be a part of his goodness and gracious and celebrate and have a reason to celebrate his goodness too. And so why? How do we honor God with our praise? Well, we honor God when our praise causes others to join in in praise. So what does this look like for us today? Because we don't have a sacrifice. We're not coming to him. We don't have a temple. We don't sacrifice cows or goats or lambs. This isn't quite as big of a deal for us today. So what does that look like for us? Well, maybe it's, it is the exact same thing. When something good happens to us, perhaps we throw a feast. To say, this really important and wonderful thing has happened to me. I'm going to throw a party and I want people to come and enjoy that and celebrate with me. How beautiful, how wonderful would that be for all of us in our church if there was people throwing parties, throwing feasts, and inviting us and friends and fellowship and creating community every time God blesses us with something. Or perhaps let's dive into some other situations. So you're at work, and you complete a big project, and, and something had to click, and it came into place. Or yeah, there was a big sale that you had to, that you had to nail down, and you got it. You got it done. You're happy. You're ready to celebrate. What would it look like to praise God for what he's done there and do it in a way that would help the other people in your, in your cubicle, in your office, in your department, praise God too? Or let's say you've got a second home that God has blessed you with. What a beautiful way to provide someone when you're not using it, a relaxing vacation or getaway, somebody that wouldn't otherwise get one. You've got space? Go ahead, let them use it. I've got a friend who's, who's done that for my family, and what, what a blessing to be able to do that. Go down to the Lake of the Ozarks, and, and we can't afford a second house, but he could, and he shares it with us. And it's such a, a testimony to the goodness of God, not just being given to him, but being shared with others. Or even when we get free time, one of those small little blessings that is so easy to look overlook, the blessing of just having some free time, having a day off, having a day where I don't have to get anything done. How would it, what would it look like to praise God for that free time in such a way that others are praising God for giving you that free time? Perhaps by helping out those who are overburdened who never get free time, who feel like I can't ever take a moment off. And so that in your free time, you come and you lift that burden from them for a moment and say, I praise God for this that I have and I want you to share in that. So have some free time yourself. Maybe that's babysitting. Maybe that's helping out with yard work. Maybe that's providing a meal. key thing in all of these situations, right, is to name that we're praising God. 
this is something that it can be very easy to do these good deeds and, 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 and not understand why, but giving the praise to God while you're doing that. And when you're doing, when you're inviting the coworkers or, or celebrating with them to say something that, to the extent of God bless me with this and I want you to share it. Sounds a bit awkward, but it's really unthreatening. Nobody is going to say, well, I won't take that because God blessed you with it, right? Or saying something, God provided us with that and I want you to enjoy it too. And so as that person is, is, is enjoying what God has provided you with, in their minds, whether they're doing it consciously or not, they can say, ah, yes, I enjoy this. I'm glad God provided that to them because now I get to enjoy it as well. And in doing this, two things happen. Number one, we're reminded to actually give thanks to God for what he's done for us. So often and so easily, we, 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 ask God for something or we desire something and God gets it to us and we're happy and it's on to the next thing that we want. All right, that's taken care of. Now the next thing, now the next need, now the next one that we want. But in doing this, it forces us to take the time to recognize, wow, God did actually provide. How can I use this to get other people to praise God with me? Because now I'm actually taking the time to praise God for it. And number two it's a really easy way to introduce the world to the love of the Father. So many times there's so many techniques that we've got for, for uh, spreading the good news or for talking about Jesus. What a beautiful way to say the Father loves you because he loved me, he gave me this, and I want to share it with you too. It's not asking them for a decision, not asking them to make a commitment, not asking them to do anything except for to enjoy a blessing. What a beautiful way to say God loves his children. All right, so if the purpose of these offerings and if the purpose of God blessing us is to cause fellowship with God and each other, but why do we have that second part of the passage? If you caught that while we were reading through, why does God put all of these prohibitions for who can participate? And let's read through what, I'm, what we're talking about there. In verse 19 through 21, God then says this. He says, Flesh that touches any unclean thing shall not be eaten. It shall be burned up with fire. All who are clean may eat flesh, but the person who eats the flesh of the sacrifice of the Lord's peace offerings, while an uncleanness is on him, that person shall be cut off from his people. Wow. And if anyone touches an unclean thing, whether human uncleanness or an unclean beast or any unclean detestable creature, and then eats some flesh from the sacrifice of the Lord's peace offering, that person shall be cut off from his people. That seems incredibly harsh. What's going on here? Well, let's talk about this whole concept of clean and unclean. Now, when we hear this, or at least when I hear clean and unclean, I often think of dirty, or in Christian context, you think of sin, or you might even think of a sense of hygiene, right? What's going on here? That's not what he's talking about here. Clean and unclean, it's not a division or a hierarchy in society. It's not saying that this person's good and this person's not good. It has no moral, moral purity to it, but it's a way of showing devotion to the Lord by not doing the things that make them unclean. So these Israelites, the, some of the things that they said were, don't touch a dead animal, don't touch a certain other things. And in following these, what they were understanding was that following God involves every part of our life. It's not just something that happens when I go in the temple. It's not just something that happens when I come to church, right? Following God 
happens in everyday life. And so there are certain regulations and certain things that God said, don't do this because that will make you ritually, that's not, it's not a, a physical state, but ritually unclean. And by following this, by showing your devotion in every part of the life of your life, you are showing your commitment to me and you're reminded of your commitment and devotion to me that following me takes every part of our lives. Now we're going to get into a deeper level of this next month. I'll explain this a little bit more in about a month. We'll get into it in our own Levitical study. And so um, this is still a bit confusing. I'm sure it's about clear as mud right now, but let's apply this. Let's take this to how, how can we apply this to today? That helps, maybe it helps us grasp it a little bit. And looking in the New Testament, we see something a little kind of similar to this clean versus unclean. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul is talking about the communion table. So just like God was saying, if you're going to come to the, to the temple, you need to be make sure you're ritually clean, not unclean. Paul's saying when you come to the communion table, make sure that you don't come in an unworthy manner. And he's, when he's talking about unworthy manner, he's saying, don't come to the table having caused division in the church, having expressed disdain for somebody else, and therefore breaking the fellowship within God's community. Because this would cause the opposite reaction of what we've just talked about. If we come to the table and we have just chewed somebody out, if we have just cheated somebody, if we have just gossiped about them and, and, and done something terribly wrong to somebody, and they see us coming to the table, then eat and partake in the fellowship of the supper, what does that do? That doesn't invite people to come praise God. No. Instead, it repels them. It think, starts to think that, uh, why are all of these people who follow God jerks? Why, does this meal, why is this meal reserved for those who hurt me? I don't want to share a meal with somebody who's hurt me. And so Paul's saying, he's saying, make sure that you're not coming in an unclean manner, in a manner that has broken fellowship. When you come to the table, if you have caused division, if somebody, if you are holding something against somebody else or somebody else has a reason to hold something against you, go and make that right before you would come up here and cause division in the fellowship. watched a movie this week called Bobette's Feast. It's a, it's a 1987 film. Um, and it's about these, these two old, a story about two older women. I believe it's fiction, but they're two older women and they grew up in a, a very pietistic, very puritanical church, meaning that uh, very concerned with their, their moral purity and, and making sure that there's no appearance of sin and, and doing everything perfectly well in many senses. And so as they grew up and they, they forsook marriage and family and, and riches, and they were just two very poor widows, but they took care of this church that their father had started. And they didn't have much money to their name, and, and but they were very faithful to following God and trying to, to minister to these people that were part of their small little congregation. One day, a woman shows up on their doorstep and this woman is a refugee from Paris because Paris had been going through a civil war at that time and she had been forced to flee. And she comes to them and they say, well, we have, we have no way to, 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 put you, to put you up. We can't pay you. We can't sustain you. And she says, that's okay. Let me be your cook. Let me be your maid and let me do it for free. And they say, okay, uh, we, can, we can do that. That's fine. And so she comes and this lady is the name of Babette. And she works and she cooks and she cleans and she allows these two widows um, as they're getting older and less able to do some of those household chores, to be able to minister to the people in their congregation more and gives them more time to do this. 
And she does it for 14 years. This maid is, is doing this for free, for no money, for nothing at all. And yet, even though these two ladies are doing their best and they're ministering to this congregation, there's still cracks and there's still divisions that are forming. The people are getting older and they're getting unruly and they're getting a bit bitter. And they're starting to, to, to bite at each other and, and, and go and come at each other. And the, this small congregation that their father has started is, is crumbling as it's shrinking. But one day, Bobette gets news that she won the lottery. She won a lottery and she got 10,000 francs. And so now these two widows are thinking, what are we going to do? Bobette's going to leave us. She's going to go back to Paris and she's going to enjoy it. And we're, we're not going to have any time. And our church is already crumbling. How in the world are things going to be held together uh, without Bobette? But surely the Lord taketh, the Lord, the Lord giveth. And, and he will find a way. And so Bobette comes to these sisters and she says, I would like, I would like to throw a feast for you guys. For 14 years, I have cooked meals for you, and you haven't even been able to afford salt in your soup. It is the bland, most most unappetizing food that I could possibly imagine. So I want to throw a proper Parisian meal for you. And so the two sisters are hesitant because this seems like an indulgence. This goes against every moral fiber in their beings to, to, to indulge in such a meal like this. But they grant it because it is her only request that she's ever made of them. Okay, we will make this. And so Bobette leaves to go get supplies. And she comes back. And as she comes back, she's unloading delicacy upon delicacy upon, upon food upon food. And the sisters are watching this and they're... Their, their, their dread is growing because they're saying, what have we done? These people, we, are, we have exposed ourselves to the wrath of God, perhaps, because we will become so engorged and indulge in this meal, and it will inflame in us all of the passions of sin, and, and we will stray away from God because of this one meal. And so they get the whole church together, and they say, we will eat this meal. And they all agree, but we won't say one word about it. We will not enjoy it. We will not compliment it. We will suffer and endure it. And in the end, we will stay pure and we will not defile ourselves by eating this meal. And so the day comes and, and, and Bobette has spent a long time preparing this meal and, and, and setting it all up. And sure enough, uh, the son of one of the congregational members co- is coming for a visit. He's a, a general in the royal Swedish court. And so he comes and he sits down and, and Bobette comes and, and she serves everyone the first course. And, and they stay true to their vows. They will not say anything, anything at all about the, the meal. They will talk about the weather. They will talk about their quarrels, but they won't say anything about the meal. But the general, ah, he takes that first taste of champagne and the first sip of the turtle soup, and he says, this, this is magnificent. This is glorious. And the meal goes on and it goes through five courses. And throughout that whole time, the, the, the old people are, are keeping their vow that they won't say anything nice about this meal. But the general is just raving about it. This is the best meal he's ever had. Oh, this dish is, reminds me of the, a dish I had in the best cafe in Paris. There is nothing like it in the whole world. Only a master chef could make something like this. And he is raving over this. This, this wine is the best vintage that could possibly be bought in. And the old congregation that is bitter and divided, they can't quite help themselves. And though they keep their vow not to say anything about the food, 
they start to grow in joy and gladness and these divisions and this bitterness they had with one another start to melt away and they realize just how petty and how small these differences are. And they start to praise the Lord because this meal is giving them almost a spiritual revelation of how good God is. And they get to the end of the meal and they go out and, and into the street and they spontaneously, perhaps the first spontaneous things these puritanical old people have ever done is they gather in a circle and they sing songs and they praise hallelujah to the Lord and they all look at each other and they say, ah, that was a nice meal. And the two sisters go back to Bobette and they say, ah, Bobette, that was, that was a very nice meal. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, it is such a shame that you will have to go to Paris now and, and we thank you for that turns to them and says, go to Paris. Why would I leave you? And they say, oh, because you would want to go back to your family and your friends and all of your connections there. She says, I have nothing in Paris. Besides, what money would I go with? I spent every last penny I had in giving you that meal. And at this, the sisters are overcome with the goodness they have been shown with the glory of their Lord and they say, ah, what a gift the Lord has given to you to be an artist and to create such a beautiful and wonderful meal. And the effects of it were that this church that was crumbling and falling apart has been restored and is coming together in fellowship and in praise of the Lord, something that has been missing in in, in true authenticity for so long. And they say to Bobette, ah, you have given us such a gift. And for that, we can never repay you. But, oh, we look forward to the day in paradise when we all will get to join together and enjoy the gift that God has given you, the artistry and the talent and the ability that God has given you forever. For you will delight even the angels with this gift that you've given. How do we honor God with our praise in a way that brings other to praise? We do it with the gifts that he's given us. Because God provides for us the things that we need and the places we need to be in and and the provisions in order to do it and praise him in such a way that everyone cannot help but, but praise him as well. Our praise honors God when it results in fellowship. This idea of bringing others to praise God through our own praise may sound a bit idealistic something that happens in a movie, but yeah, in real life, it's a lot harder to apply. In our society, well, it's seemingly more opposed to Christianity every day. It's a bit hardened more to this message. And so to say something, oh, God bless me with this, that that runs the risk of of ending a relationship or, or feeling like you're going to be ostracized for that. And honestly, who can blame them when the praise of the church, when the church's praise of God sounds a whole lot more like hate for your neighbor than it does like love? for a savior. And yet how different does our praise to God sound when it's an invitation to a feast? When it's a sharing in rewards for a big sale or for a good yearly revenue, when it's an offer to help because God has blessed me and I want you to enjoy his blessings as well. Indeed, God has blessed us in in ways that we can never imagine, we'll never measure, and we will never comprehend until we are with him in heaven. For he's given us a son. And through him, we get to enjoy eternal life, a gift that we will never fully comprehend. 
yet in Him and through Him, we have everything we need to praise and to bless everyone around us in such a manner that brings them to praise Him and to come into fellowship. Amen. Dear Father, Father, as we encounter your blessings, and it's so easy to move past them and on to the next thing and, and desiring the next blessing, Lord, give us give us the desire and the fortitude and the self-consciousness to stop and say thank you. To praise you for all of these wonderful, beautiful things that you've done and continue to do in our lives. And Lord, as we get to celebrate them and enjoy them, let us think of our neighbor. Help us give us your spirit so that we are not so selfish, Lord, because that is so easy for us to do. Give us the mindset to then want to share it with those around us. And Lord, give give us the power of your Holy Spirit. May he be acting. So in those times when we act in such a manner that they may be brought to praise you as well. Father, may your kingdom shine brightly in a world of darkness. Thank you.